when we as a family travel, um, there's four of us, so we'll, one of the first things that happens when we get into a hotel room is um, someone in my family, usually the youngest member of my family, grabs the remote and attempts to control what's on the TV. He then promptly loses the remote because the youngest and youngest have no rights in the family. They just get whatever's left over. So, um, so in trying to figure out what we're going to watch, one of the things that we sometimes do is we'll just take turns and, and different people will watch for an hour. And one of the shows that my wife and daughter like to watch is this TV show entitled What Not to Wear. And um, if you've ever watched this show, What Not to Wear, it's a TV show about an individual gets selected, and um, then these two hosts, Stacy and Clint, they come and they go through your wardrobe, and they basically mock and make fun of everything that you own, you know, throw it in a big garbage can, and then they give you one thing to keep, you know, some memory or some comfort piece of clothing you get to keep. Usually it's one thing. Um, and then they, they teach you about style and what's in style, and they teach you how to dress and give you money to shop and perform a makeover and, uh, and then a reveal. And we're not going to do all that this morning, but we're going to talk about style. We're going to talk about style. And for some of you, style is very important and you're very good at it. For others of you, you could give a rip about style, and it's just whatever shows up in the closet. That's what you wear, you know. And, um, but this morning, I want to take you uh, through a little, little journey of some different styles that have shown up in where we live, and uh, I'm going to give you three decades, and you have to pick which decade this style comes from, okay? So the first one on the screen, is this from the 90s, the 80s, or the 70s? Which one do you think? A little louder. 90s, very confident on that one. That's obviously the 90s. How about this next one? 40s, 50s, or 60s? 60s, I hear a couple 60s. All right, all right, not so sure about that one. Yep, you got it right. 1960s is a style for that one. How about this next one? 2000, 2010, or 2020? Which one? What do you think? Nobody knows what to think on this one. 2010, that's the hipsters. Yeah, you got it. 2010, there you go. All right, how about this next one? 80s, 70s, or 90s? 80s. All you wore that stuff to, to high school. There you go. That's what we got. That's the 80s. All right, how about this next one? 40s, 50s, or 60s? 50s. There you go. That's the 1950s. How about this one? 2000, 1990, or 2010? 2000, 1990, or 2010? You're not sure. All right. 2000, 2000. And one more. 60s, 70s, or 80s? 70s. Just think the Brady Bunch. There you go. There you go. All right. So today we're going to talk about style. We're going to talk about style. And we're not going to talk about the style of your clothing. We're not going to go through that um, challenge or embarrassment or adventure. But we're going to talk about the style of your life, the style of your character, the style and the way that you live your life. And if you haven't been with us this fall, we've been uh, in this series entitled Follow. Follow. And we've, we've asked ourselves, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does that look like? To follow Jesus. In the very beginning of the series, I said to you, I almost wish we could somehow erase everything that we had in our brains about God and faith and, and church and religion and, and, and all of those things and just go back and erase everything and just go back and begin by looking at what did Jesus say in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What did he say? And as we started that process, one of the things we discovered that Jesus said over and over again was this phrase, and he said, follow me, follow me. Over and over and over again, he said, follow me. And we saw in the first week that following Jesus does not require you to be perfect. As a matter of fact, the less perfect you are, the better qualified you are to follow Jesus. 
Because the people Jesus invited to follow him, they did not have it all together, for sure. We also saw that it doesn't require you to believe everything that Jesus taught. Um, because many of his followers didn't come to believe it until much, much later. But the people that Jesus invited to follow him were very different than he was. Very, very different than he was. You see, Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who are not anything like him. Not anything at all like him. People that were... The, the, he did not hang out with the religious guys, the rabbis. He hung out with what would be the modern-day druggies and hookers, the tax collectors and sinners. That's who Jesus hung out with. And then last week we talked about the fact... We, looked, we asked ourselves a question. What would happen if you followed Jesus for a long period of time in your life? What would happen if you followed Jesus? And what would that look like? And what we discovered is that if you follow Jesus for a long period of time, there's a couple of truths that are going to sink deep in your soul that are going to guide you. And one of those truths is that God is always with you and that you are loved by Him. We just sang that in that song. That you are loved by God. And the second reality is that you are never alone. And if these truths sink deep into your heart and deep in your soul, what they're going to do... John, one of Jesus' followers, said this perfect love does what? It casts out fear. It moves fear right off the table. So following Jesus for a long period of time doesn't remove the possibility that you will feel, fear, feel fearful, but that you will be able to conquer that fear when it shows up inside your heart. And so today we're going to ask that question, this question, what should the followers of Jesus wear? What should the followers of Jesus wear? Because the truth is, we in our culture, we know who someone follows by what they wear. Um, some of you will wear a jersey a little bit later today to demonstrate your loyalty to a certain team. You know, maybe it'll be this team that's going to come up on the screen. Maybe that's who your loyalty will be, even though they don't have a quarterback that's ever started a game in the NFL and no idea what they're going to do, but we'll see. We'll see. And maybe some of you will follow this next team. Maybe you'll be cheering tomorrow you know, evening, and I'll be cheering against you you know, down at uh, FedEx Field. So maybe that's who you're following. But we know who you follow by what you wear. And it's true of people of faith, too. It's true of people of faith. I mean, who would you say this person follows? Who do they follow? The teachings of who? Muhammad, right? They're a Muslim. The teachings of Muhammad. Who does this person follow? The teachings of who? Buddha, because they're Buddhist priests. How about this individual? Who do they follow? The teachings of the Sikh faith, the fifth largest religion in our world. So we know who people follow by what they wear. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you wear? If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you wear? Maybe you look like this guy. I liked especially the hair on the outfit, you know. Maybe you kind of feel like a follower of Jesus. He's just got to have a John 3.16 shirt and draw some attention to himself, you know, with the... Or maybe you're like this next guy on the other end of the equation who he just hates everybody. Sodomites, gangsters, immodest women, Darwinists, socialists, pornographers, everybody, you know, jihadists. He just hates everybody. Maybe that's what Christ's followers should wear. I hope not. I won't want much to do with you if you wear that. But, but they claim to be followers of Jesus. And so the question that we're asking ourselves is what does a follower of Jesus wear? What do they wear? Well, surprisingly... Paul has something to say with one of the followers of Jesus, and then Jesus himself. And, and so I want us to turn, first of all, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And as I mentioned before, I've gotten some ideas for this series from a, a series by Andy Stanley entitled Follow. And 
John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn there. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some, and they're, uh, they're passing some of them out. John 13. And the page that that is going to be on is on the screen, page 875. 875. John 13, if you look in verse 34, verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you. This is not something they've heard before. Even though we talk about all the time for his followers, it was something new that he was giving to them. He says, I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another. They knew that they were supposed to love God. This was something that they had been told in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, is something they had heard over and over again. Loving God, loving God, loving God. They were also told to love their enemies. That was the other people that they were supposed to love, people that were far from God, people that didn't want anything to do with them. But loving one another was something new. And he says, this is the way you're supposed to do that. I want you to love the way I have loved you. Now, how do we love other people? How do we love other people? Well, most of the time we love other people the way we have been loved. Um, much of the way we relate to other people, we learn from the people in our lives, in our childhood. That's how we learn to forgive, by watching them. That's how we learn to get angry, by watching them. And that's how we learn to love, is by watching them. But Jesus says, I want you to watch someone else. He says, I want you to watch me. And I want you to learn from me. And I want the way I love to replace the way you currently love each other. I mean, think with me about it for a moment, some of the experiences Jesus had with his followers. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Jesus invited Matthew to come and follow him. I can't imagine that the disciples, when they heard Matthew was going to be on the team, were like high-fiving one another. They weren't excited when Matthew was coming on board. I imagine behind everyone's back, they were saying things like, why did Jesus invite him? Doesn't Jesus know his background? What are our parents going to think if we're hanging around someone like this? What about our reputation? Jesus was saying to his followers, I want you to love Matthew and people like Matthew the way I love you. What about Nathaniel, another one of Jesus' followers? When Jesus um, showed up on the scene and invited them to follow him, you know what Nathaniel said? He said, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus' hometown. He basically dissed Jesus his whole family, his whole neighborhood. And what Jesus wanted him to remember is that to treat people the way he would treat them regardless of where they've come from, regardless of their family of origin, regardless of their past, can you love them the way I love you? Another story that happened with James and John, one time they went to Jesus, they said, Jesus, we know you're talking about this kingdom thing, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, and, and usually in a kingdom, there's someone that's in charge, we know that's going to be you, but then there's people right underneath of them, and they have lots of special privileges, they get special seating, special responsibility, any possibility we could get those slots, any possibility. And Jesus goes on to say, that's not how you get there, by trying to beg your way in. Well, the other disciples heard about this as well. And the story goes that they were upset with James and John. I don't know if they were upset because James and John asked to be in these positions or if they were upset at themselves because they didn't think about asking before James and John beat them to the punch. But Jesus said, can you treat James and John, people who are only looking out for themselves, can you love them 
the way I love you. You see, the pull in faith and the pull in religion is not to love. It's away from that. It's away from that. The pull is away from that. The pull is towards rituals and responsibilities and obligations and rules in faith and in church. Because it's much easier for someone to say, well, I've kind of done what I'm supposed to do in the church thing, and for them not to be loving to one another. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that motivated me to be a pastor, because I would see this, and I would watch what I observed and saw that there was a disconnect. Because people would say they were Christians, they would read their daily bread every day, they would show up in church, they would give money and they would serve, and then they would be rude to their spouse, they'd flip people off in traffic, um, they had no patience with people who didn't do things their way. And I thought to myself, this doesn't seem to be the message of Jesus. Something's missing. Something's missing. It's as if they can justify their poor behavior and unkind treatment of other people because of the religious things that they are doing. And Jesus said, these things never replace loving one another. Loving one another. Well, one of the followers of Jesus, Paul, he wrote about this. And let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul was a a Jewish scholar. That's who he was. He knew the Old Testament inside and out. Likely had the, the first five books, if not the majority of the Old Testament, memorized. That's how smart of an Old Testament scholar Paul was. And Paul was given this task in the first century of killing Christians, capturing them and then putting to death because they were, they were drawing people away from Judaism. And so that's what Paul did. He rounded people up and he was killing them. The story of how he killed one of Jesus' followers named Philip. And so one day, God got Paul's attention, literally stopped him in his tracks and says, your life is not about doing this. Your life is about following me. And his life was turned around. And he began then, on a, he was sent out on this mission to go to these cities all around the Mediterranean Sea and begin to tell them about Jesus. And he would go first into the synagogue and he would say, do you know about Jesus the Messiah? And people would choose to follow. And then he would go outside the synagogue and more would follow. And then they would start a little faith community and then move on from there to the next place and move on from there to the next place. And eventually he would pause and then write letters back to these original communities saying, now don't forget the things that Jesus told us to do. And this is how you're supposed to do it. And so in the book of Colossians, he tells us how we're supposed to love one another. And I want us to take a look at that. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look in verse 12. It's page 955 on the Bibles the guys handed out. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. In verse 12, he begins by saying this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, he's talking about Christ followers, people that have been tapped on the shoulder And Jesus said, would you come and follow me? And they said, yes, I will. And he says, they are holy and dearly beloved. Holy is, you know, set apart, unique. It's another way of saying chosen people. And then he uses this phrase, dearly loved. Talks about the relationship. This is not about rules. This is not about, am I doing the right thing or am I not doing the right thing? This is about a relationship. And what Paul wants his followers to know is he wants his followers to know that God deeply, deeply loves them. 
and that they've been chosen by Him to be His own. And then look what he says there in verse 12. He says, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Now, he's not talking about wearing walk-in love t-shirts. That's not what he's talking about. But he's going to talk about the character of your life, what he wants you to put on. And as I sat and went through this list, I realized there were some things on this list that I kind of do those things. And I'm, I'm actually pretty good at them. And I don't even think about I should be doing them. I just kind of do them. You know? It's like there's certain things that when you get up in the morning and you get dressed, you don't think about, do I put these pieces of clothing on? You just do it every morning, you know? Um, and there's other things that you think about. And so there's some of these that Paul's going to say, clothe yourself, and you're going to be like, well, I already do. I already do. I already do. But I'm pretty confident that as we go through this list, there's going to be a couple of these that you're like, uh, ooh, I'm not really wearing that one. I haven't worn that one in a while. That one's in the back of the closet. I'm not sure it fits anymore or is even in style anymore. And so I want you to pay attention to which of these seem to be somewhat natural. They happen for you because I believe that this is true of all of them. And which of these are going to be a real struggle for you to say, that one's not as true of me as I would like it to be. Okay? So the first one he says is compassion. Compassion. And compassion is feeling what other people are going through. It's feeling what other people are going through. There's a couple words that go around. That's one of the words is empathy. You, you can have empathy for someone if you've gone through their same experience. Okay? That's what you can have. I can have empathy for someone who's had a heart attack because I had that happen earlier to me this year. I can't have empathy for someone who's lost a parent because both of my parents are still living. Can't have empathy. But I can have sympathy for them, meaning I understand their loss and their struggle and how hard that is. And that's more what the word compassion is like. Compassion is being able to sit with and allow your heart to feel what it must be like for them to go through that. Uh, compassion is not saying, I understand, because you don't. You've never been there. But compassion says, man, my heart feels heavy just thinking about what you're going through. Or that must really, really be difficult. I can't imagine how hard that is. That's what compassion is. Regardless of why things have happened, regardless of the cause, regardless of your capacity to get them to stop, regardless if you've asked, if you told them three times, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing this, and then they do it again and they have consequences, regardless of all that, you have the ability to allow your heart to feel for them as they're going through this. Compassion talks about emotion from the deepest part of who you are. Some of you know what this is like because you are incredibly compassionate. And you have this amazing gifting from God to enter and walk alongside other people in your struggles, their struggles. For some of you, you have no idea what this is like because your heart doesn't feel. You say, what do you mean, John? Well, that was my story for many, many years. Many, many years. My heart didn't feel. You say, well, that doesn't sound like you. And I, I knew how to, tears would come at appropriate times. And I knew how to say the right things. But my heart never ate. 
Never eat. For people who are going through hard times. Um, and I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know what to do. I had to get some help to navigate through that and allow God to unlock the deadbolts that I had bolted shut in my heart so I could feel. And I remember the first time that I felt like I was able to do this. I was like, wow, that's what that's like. This is my friend Jim's funeral. I'd done lots of funerals before then. But at his funeral, I was able to weep with those that were weeping and allow my heart to ache because of his loss. And Paul says, this is part of loving people well. This is not just for those bleeding hearts and you get to do this and everybody else gets a pass. It's not what he says. This is not just for certain genders and not for other genders. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to put this on in your life. Because this is part of loving one another the way I love them. Look at the second one. Second one here is kindness. Kindness. Kindness is when you loan someone else your strength by serving them. You say, what do you mean, loan them my strength? What do you mean by that? Well, kindness is when you see something that someone else needs. It's not your responsibility. It's not your obligation, not your expectation. And you go out of your way to use your gifts, your ability, your time, your resources, your muscle, your brains, whatever, to help them. That's what kindness is. That's what kindness is. And, and most of us know when someone has acted kindly towards us because we're surprised by it. We're like, oh, thank you for being so kind. Because it's not expected. It's not required. No one has to do this. But it's done for you. As I was thinking about this one, I was like, oh, that's another tough one for me. And I thought to myself, why do I struggle with kindness? Why do I struggle? It's not something that comes naturally to me. And as I sat with it and thought about it a little bit, I realized I'm kind of a, I'm a pretty focused person. When I have something in front of me, I kind of put my head down and I focus on it, and I don't always see the things that are needed around me. And one of the regular conversations in, in our house is my wife will say to me, didn't you see those dishes in the drain? I'm like, nope, hon, hate to tell you, I didn't even see them. You know, walked past them five times, didn't even see them, you know. And I, and I didn't. I'm not lying. I'm not making that up because I didn't want to do them. I didn't see them, but I have my head down. I kind of have... And so I thought to myself, you know, for me, I have to ask God to help me kind of take the blinders off and be able to see some things. Oh, this could... I could step into this. And, oh, I could do this. And I could respond here. And that's what kindness is. And so ask yourself the question this morning, is kindness one of the pieces of clothing that you put on when you get up in the morning? Do you find yourself during the day going out of your way to do things for other people using what you're good at? Do you find yourself doing that? That's what kindness is. All right, let's look at the next one. The next one is humility. Humility. Humility is not thinking more highly of yourself. It's knowing who you are, not talking about it. 
knowing who you are and not talking. A humble person is not the person that says, I'm really not good at anything. I, I, I'm, I'm really no good. I, I really can't do it. That's not a humble person. That's someone who's filled with false pride because everybody's good at something. God's made you that way, right? But humility is knowing what you're good at but not bringing it up. Not bringing it up. It's viewing yourself the way God views you. You see, God made us all in His image, and God gives us gifts and abilities and strengths and things that we're all good at, and it's incredibly diverse and unique. But humility is when you don't talk about that. C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself. Not thinking less of yourself, I'm no good, I was terrible, I can't do anything, but thinking less about yourself. A humble person is someone that when they look at people, they don't see different levels. You know, in some countries, there's a caste system. PV, who comes and visits with us and serves um, in India, he's part of a caste system. And you're placed into this system by the family you're born into, and you can never get out of that system. Never. And if you're the system above you, you don't, go, you don't interact with them. The system below you, they don't interact with you. And someone who's humble doesn't see these levels. They just see people that God's made in His image that He loves and that He was willing to give His Son for. How about this one? Gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is not misusing your strength on someone else, but deferring to them. Not misusing your strength on someone else, but deferring to... It's knowing how much strength to bring to bear on a situation. Um, How many of you either wear contact lenses, have worn contact lenses, or know a friend or someone in your family that wears contact lenses? Let me see your hands. Okay. Quite a few people in the room here. So when you watch them putting their contact lenses in there... You know, they're really careful, right? They usually two fingers and they kind of cleaning it and they kind of, you know, get it on one finger and kind of prying their eye open, kind of getting it right in their eye. That's what they're really, really careful with that lens, okay? Really gentle. But if you were to use that same approach to pick up a football, would it work? Kind of use two fingers, kind of reach over and kind of pinch it, maybe right on the, on the lace and kind of pick it up. That wouldn't work, would it? No. You got to grab that thing and you got to hold on that thing. You got to tuck that thing under your arm. And you got to throw, I mean, that's what you got to do with a football, right? And what gentleness is, is gentleness is knowing when and where to use your strength. The illustration I love for this is a, is a German Shepherd police dog. A police dog. Because those dogs are highly trained. And most of the time, you will see those dogs at rest right there by their handlers. And you'll think, oh, that's kind of a nice, calm dog. Until those officers are in pursuit, and they release that dog to go after whoever it is they're chasing. And that dog will go after that person, bring them down, hold them down, do whatever it takes. And you're like, wow, that dog is an incredibly strong dog. Overwhelming sense of strength. And that's what gentleness is. Now, the thing that you have to be real careful about this gentleness piece is if you're not a strong personality, if you're not like the high D, the driver, you know, the, the lion, the bulldog, if that's not you, you can kind of assume, well, this doesn't really apply to me. But we all are strong somewhere. We all have strengths somewhere. And it's not misusing our strength. It's not misusing our position. It's not misusing our voice. It's not misusing our authority. It's not misusing our personality. Someone who is gentle 
is someone who says, my relationship with you is more important than you being impressed with me. That's someone who's gentle. My relationship with you is more important than you being impressed with me. How about the next one? Patience. Patience. Patience is deciding to go at the speed of another person. And the best illustration for this is going, to, going for a walk with a young child. Going for a walk with a young child. You go for a walk with a young child, their steps are shorter, their interest is shorter, um, their, everything is shorter and slower than yours. And what patience is, is patience is dialing it down a notch or two for another person. Dialing it down a notch or two for another person. Um, patience is when you're having a conversation with someone and they get it, you, you got it, it's clear in your mind and they don't get it. And you're like, oh, don't worry about it, you're just never going to get it. That's not being patient. Patient is dialing it back to the speed of the other person. And for some of you, um, this is a really difficult thing to do. Some of you operate at a really high level of RPM. Some of you operate at a really high level of intellect. And it's hard to bring that down to be with someone else. But that's what patience is. Paul kind of sums all these up in the next verse. He says this, he says, bear with one another, which basically simply means um, to be patient and um, understanding of each other. But look at the next one he says there. He says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The idea of forgiveness is letting it go and not bringing it back up again. Letting it go and never bringing it back up again. You say, how does God forgive? Because it says we're supposed to forgive the way God forgives. Does God forget? No, God can't forget. God, God can't forget anything. God knows everything, past, present, and future, all simultaneously. That's His incredible omniscience. He knows everything all at once. So how does God forget? Does God just ignore things? Is that how God forgets? No, God doesn't ignore things because He can't. There's always a consequence for sin. So what does God do with our sin? One of the prophets says this, what God does with our sin is it says that God buries our sin in the depths of the deepest sea. So He puts it as far away from His presence as possible. And then Romans 8, 1, it says there's no condemnation or no judgment for the past sins of anyone who's in Christ Jesus, who's a follower of Jesus. And so what does he do? He lets it go, and he never brings it back up again. That means it never comes back up again in a funny joke. It never comes back up again in a sarcastic jab. It never comes back up again in a historical or in a hysterical moment of conflict. Those things get never get brought back up again. The book is closed, never to be opened. That's what forgiveness is. So what does loving one another look like? It's being compassionate like Jesus was compassionate. It's being kind like He is kind. It's being humble like He is humble. It's being gentle like He is gentle. It's like being patient like He is patient. It's being forgiving like He is forgiving. And then look at the last verse in this section. And over all these virtues, put on what? Love. Which binds them all together in perfect 
unity. Now, if you look at these lists, this list of all of these things, I don't know about you, but that list is pretty overwhelming. It's pretty overwhelming. And um, it would be real easy to say, you know, that's more than I can even wrap my brain around. Um, but I think God wants us to do something with us, with this. I think he wants us to take action. And so as I challenged you when I started, my assumption is that for all of you, there's probably one or maybe two of these that as you were sitting there thinking about them, it kind of hit home a little bit. You're like, yeah, yeah, that one's back in the back of the closet. That one, I haven't put that one on in a long, long time. So what I want you to do is I want you, if you've been writing down some notes, I want you to pull out the, the piece of paper in the, the program. Pull that out, pull out a piece of paper, take out your phone and open up the notes section. Come on, everybody do that. Get something because you're going to need to write. Everybody get something, pull something out. You need to write or type something in your notes section. Because what I want you to do is I want you to pick one of these, and you're going to have to pick one of these words, but these words don't stand in isolation. You see, you can't just be compassionate to yourself or kind to yourself, or forgiving, or patient. You have to do that for someone else. And likely, when you were thinking of one of these words, someone came to mind. Someone came to mind. And so I want you to write down this next sentence that's going to come up on the screen. God, I want to be more loving by being blank towards blank this week. So write this sentence down, and I'll bring back up the list of words. God, I want to be more blank, to be more loving by being blank towards blank this week. And that first blank, you're going to write gentleness, kind, patient, humble, forgiving. God, I want to be more loving by being one of these words to someone else this week. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you've not been very gentle. Maybe it's your kids. It's their job. They've got to take care of this stuff. Maybe it's a coworker. You've not been very patient with them. They never get their stuff in on deadlines. Never. Let's go back to the sentence. Here's the sentence again. God, I want to be more loving by being blank towards whom? And put a name there. Jesus says, I want you to put this on. This is what being a Christ follower, a follower Jesus is all about. They love one another, and they love one another in such a way by following my example, that the whole world knows that this is a follower of Jesus. That this is a follower of Jesus. And so which of those this week is Jesus saying to you, I want you to put that on? So the choice is yours. I mean, you can, you can dress like a Christ follower, like the John 3.16 guy with the crazy hair, dude. I mean, that could be what you're going to put on this week. Or you can go to the other extreme, like the guy with the sandwich board, and none of us will want anything to do with you. You could put that on this week. But our hope and prayer is that you put something on different. You see, those guys, they just want to make a point. And that's not why Jesus came. Jesus wanted to make a difference, not only in our lives, but by the way that we love one another in the lives of everybody that we touch and cross paths with this week. Let's bow our heads as we close.
And I want to invite you just to take a moment and ask God for his help with whatever you've written down this morning. It's likely not going to be easy because it doesn't come very natural to you. And so would you just ask him for his help? God, you've called us if we want to follow you to love one another. And um, some of these areas we've talked about come a little more easily than others. But likely for all of us, there's been one or two of these that are just really, really hard. They don't come natural and they're a real struggle, God. And that's why we don't do it. But I pray that you would press into that, God. Um, maybe you've been convicting someone's heart about this for a long time, and, and they've tried lots of things, and nothing's worked, and they've got to get some help with it, God. Get some counsel with it. Maybe for some it was an eye-opener, God. As your spirit just zeroed in and said, this was true of you this week. You were not very kind. You were not very gentle. There's someone you need to forgive. So God, I pray that this week we would look to you as our example. That we would do these things in the way that you have done them. And that we would lean on and rely on you for the strength that we need to do them. I ask this in your name, God. Amen. And the good part is that we don't have to do that on our own. God.